0: Uh, Let me say welcome again, particularly if you're with us today at the invitation of a friend. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Uh, We're going to spend some time now looking again at that passage from Luke's Gospel, uh, which we heard read out earlier on. You might want to open up your sheets uh, so that you can see it as we go along. Uh, It is just one episode in Jesus' life, and yet I hope that you'll see that it speaks of what our lives are all about. It addresses our pains and struggles and ambitions and hopes and fears and says, here's somewhere where you can find a way through. That's a big claim. If it really is true that these words on a page can be that significant, then we're going to need God's help to understand them. And so as we start, let me pray for us that he would give us just that help. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know us, even if we don't know you. Thank you that you speak to us, revealing who you are in Jesus Christ and in your words of the Bible. Please help us now to understand this event from Jesus' life and to see how it impacts our lives today. Amen. Amen. You need to know who someone is if you're going to relate to them properly. Unlike the chap who came into church one day, uh, sat down next to a woman, opened up his service sheet and groaned. Are you all right, said the woman. Oh yes, I'm fine, he said, but I've just seen who's preaching today. He's so boring and he goes on forever. I'm sorry to hear that, she said. Do you know who I am? No, said the man. I'm the preacher's wife. (laughs) Oh, said the man. My wife's over there, in case you're worried at the moment. Do you know who I am, he said. No, she said. Good. And he scurried away. (laughs) If you don't know who someone is, you won't relate to them in the right way. That's true in our everyday relationships. And it is also true with Jesus Christ. Did you notice what was going on in that reading that we had? We saw a group of people who thought they knew who he was, when actually they didn't have a clue. Look again at the first sentence there. Uh, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. They thought they knew Jesus, they thought they knew him because they'd grown up with him. This was his hometown. He's speaking here to some of the lads that he used to play with in the streets. He's speaking to the folk who had seen him helping his father Joseph with his carpentry. He was speaking to people who were used to seeing him around. They knew his habits. They knew that every Sabbath day they'd see him down at the synagogue. They'd got him in a box in their minds. They'd typecast him. Oh, we know Jesus, they thought. He is the local boy, the dutiful son. He's one of us. And look, we can do the same. Uh, because we may well have grown up with Jesus in a different way. Grown up with a fixed view of, of who he is. Uh, if you've mainly come along to church at Christmas time through your life, then you've grown up with Jesus, the baby of the Nativity scene. Oh, I know Jesus, you think? He's that sweet child born in tough circumstances. Or perhaps you've always grown up with a particular view of Jesus. Ah, yes, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, we think. I've seen the postcards and the book covers. Or perhaps you've always thought of Jesus as a good man, like comedian Steve Coogan, who who said this, Jesus was a well-rounded guy, whether he was the Son of God or not, who knows. Perhaps you see Jesus as an unfortunate man who was victimised by the authorities of his day. That's the view that Prince Philip once expressed. Jesus might be described as an underprivileged, working-class victim of political and religious persecution. Or perhaps you've grown up thinking that Jesus was a great teacher. As Jewish historian Giza Worms put it, he was an unsurpassed master of the art of laying bare the inmost core of spiritual truth. Or maybe for you, you have grown up thinking of Jesus as a political revolutionary. As Mikhail Gorbachev once said, Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. So easy to do, and and yet if you have come along today with a preconceived idea of who Jesus is, if he's been typecast in your mind, if you've boxed him in, well then I'd like to ask where that box has come from. How have we drawn up our typecast into which we now fit him? Often, if we'll admit it, uh, we've done those things whilst ignoring what Jesus actually said about himself, never really paying attention to things that he did. And if we've done that, we may well have missed who he really is. And if we've missed that, then we will have been relating to him wrongly all our lives. That, I think, is what this episode in Jesus' life is about. Uh, the first thing it does is to help us to see the real Jesus. Because we hear Jesus give what, I guess today, we would call his mission statement. This is Jesus saying who he is and what he is about. Let's look again at what happened. See verse 17? In the synagogue, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, the first thing that Jesus is claiming about himself is that he is the centre of history. He's been handed a scroll from Isaiah. This is a book that was 700 years old. A book containing promises from God about what he would do to restore the fortunes of his people. And Jesus reads a little snippet from it and says... Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 700 years ago, God was talking about me. It's staggering, isn't it? In 1309, Robert the Bruce held his first Scottish Parliament. Can you imagine if I quoted to you a little bit of that meeting and then said that they're discussing me? And yet for Jesus, this wasn't even a once-off. At the end of Luke's Gospel... He talks to two men on the road to Emmaus. And there we're told that he took them through all the scriptures, not just Isaiah, but the whole lot, showing how they were all about him. The history book of God's people. And it's all about Jesus. Everything fulfilled by him. Jesus says that if you have a wrong view of him, then you can't understand history and you won't make sense of the future. Do you see how that's so much bigger than just saying that Jesus was a good man or an important teacher? A good teacher would be knowledgeable about history. Jesus says he is the point of history. What does that feature in the way you think of him? There's more besides here because what about the content of this quote from Isaiah? Yes, Jesus is the centre of history, But here he also says that he is the secret of life. Just listen again to the things that Jesus says he's able to do. He said he came to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to give recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Tackling poverty, freeing those unfairly imprisoned, helping those with disability and illness. Doesn't that sound good? Isn't that what our world needs? It's not so different from the things we've been hearing in the headlines this week with the inauguration of Barack Obama. Millions, perhaps even billions across the world, seem to be looking to him with great expectation. Haven't you felt it? The world holding its breath to see whether he can help with the global economic crisis. Will there be good news for the poor? In his first days, he's already ordered the closure of Guantanamo Bay. Freedom for the prisoners. Well, some prisoners. And on his campaign, one of his big policies was a promise of big Medicare reform. Tackling fundamental health care reform was the phrase. Not exactly promising sight to the blind, but certainly he knows the issues that we face. And yet now he's in office, of course. What are the Obama team doing? They're trying to dampen expectation. After all, we've all seen it time and again where political promises come to nothing. And so they're trying to get people to have a dose of realism about what one man can achieve. Not so with Jesus. In fact, instead of trying to lower expectations, he makes his claims even bigger. In quoting these verses from Isaiah, He's saying that what he has come to do affects everyone. Not just the materially poor, the physically blind, and those imprisoned by the state. My guess is that almost none of us fall into any of those categories. He will tackle those things. Christians look forward to an eternal life with God, as Roger was speaking about earlier. And it will have none of the difficulties and discouragements that we go through in this life. But Jesus' main focus here is that he has come to help those who are spiritually poor, blind, and imprisoned. And that is all of us. Uh, To be spiritually poor is to know that feeling when, uh, despite all that you have in life, whether it be money or possessions or status or a relationship, you know that something is missing. That you don't have what you need to be content at peace within yourself. Oh, we, We're good at hiding the facts. Good at not admitting it to ourselves. Uh, we keep ourselves busy. We fill our days with people. Uh, we stick the TV on to, vi- to provide enough background noise to drown it out. Now, apart from the odd midlife crisis, we keep things together. But we're always close to the limit. Spiritually poor, as one early Christian put it, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Do you know that feeling in your life? Or to be spiritually blind is not knowing where to look for answers. Answers to the questions that actually are the most important to us. What am I here for? Where can I find purpose in life? Is this all there is? Does what I do today have any meaning? How can I make sense of my life and what's going on, of the world and the state that it's in? We all like to have answers to, to those questions clear in our minds. To be spiritually imprisoned is to realize that we can't break out. Perhaps we can't break out of a way of life that I don't like when every day and every week feels like drudgery but there's no end in sight and no escape to hand. Or when I realise that my life is controlled by factors beyond my influence and I'm powerless in the face of them. Perhaps uh, when I see a relationship that is dear to me heading for the rocks and yet you can't change, even when you try. Or perhaps it's when fear of death, the, the end of life, stops us from living life. That's why Jesus says he's come. That's his mission statement. He's come to give good news to the spiritually poor. Saying, if you come to me you will have found all that your heart desires. He came to give sight to the spiritually blind, saying, if you look at me, you'll find the answers to life's biggest questions. He came to bring freedom to those spiritually imprisoned, saying, I hold the key that can set you free to live life in all its fullness. (laughs) That's what we need. That's what it would be to enjoy the year of the Lord's favour there in verse 19. But here's the tragedy. It is too much for Jesus' hearers to take in. Isn't this Joseph's son? They said to themselves. Little Jesus. We've known him since he was a boy. What's he saying now? They cannot believe that the Jesus they knew is the same one who is at the centre of history and the secret of life. Perhaps like the curator at the British Museum, who had worked there in the period that Lenin studied in London before the First World War. A biographer of Lenin traced this curator and questioned him about his memories. Oh yes, a Mr. Lenin. I remember, said the curator. He used to come here quite a bit, so I knew him. But then after the war I never saw him again and I've not heard of him since. He was so familiar with Lenin the library bookworm that he'd never connected, that he was the same man who was the architect of the Russian communist state. I think that for a few of us here, this will have been true of us and Jesus. All your life you've been living with a wrong understanding of who he is. And it means that you won't listen to some of the things that he said and did. So you hear of some of the great miracles that Jesus performed and you say, Jesus, my, my Jesus, doing those sorts of things, can't be. I, I've known him all my life. He was just a good man. There's no way he'd do that, that sort of thing. Or perhaps you learn of some of Jesus' claims about his uniqueness, about being the only way to God. Like this one, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he said, no, Jesus? My Jesus? I've known him for years. He's never said anything like that to me. He's just one of many great teachers, surely. He wouldn't say unique things like that. And so we've never matched up the Jesus of history as being the one who has the answers for my life. Who has the ability to help me. Because we've stuck him in a box and it's the wrong one. See, this passage is saying to us, do you know the real Jesus? And then it says to us, will you relate to him the right way? Just look on at what happened next uh, in this episode. Verse 24 on the next page. I tell you the truth, Jesus continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. when they heard this. No prophet is accepted in his hometown, says Jesus. That is, no one who's grown up with him, no no one who's grown up with the wrong idea of him, no one who's typecast Jesus in their minds, will come to him to help them. Even when we face difficulty, we won't match up that he's the one with the answers. And so Jesus reminds them of two incidents from the Old Testament which they knew but they'd never taken to heart. Two incidents when in times of great need, not one of God's chosen people, not one of Israel received help from him. They'd all turned away from him. Instead, it was two outsiders, two people who realized they had nothing going for them, were the only two who received mercy. Uh, to start, there was a widow in Elijah's day, at the height of a great famine. Uh, she was down to her last handful of flour, and then to Cap it all, her son died. Can you imagine her desperation? But when Elijah came, she trusted completely in the Lord that he told her of. And she was helped. She received a miraculous provision of food and the restoration of her son back to life. Her desperation led to total dependence on God. Or remember Naaman, Jesus said. He was a great man, a commander in a foreign army. uh, But he suffered from leprosy. Uh, the cancer of its day. And so he was led by one of his slaves to Elisha, a man of God. And to start with, Naaman brought money and letters of commendation with him as though he he could somehow pay God or or impress God into helping him. Uh, But he learned that all he had to do was to humble himself before God and he was cured. Uh, death, great need, incurable disease. Those are things which when we face them, we know we can't cope on our own. We know we need help. And so Jesus is saying that when we realise who he is, we'll come to him for help. He's not just the baby of the nativity, not just a good teacher or a great man or a victimised leader. No, we need to see that he's the centre of history and the secret of life, And that the only right way to relate to him is with that total dependence and deep humility that the widow and Naaman showed. We need his help. We need him to enrich us. We need him to open our eyes to what life is all about. We need him to set us free from everything that traps us. We need him to cure and forgive our independence and pride. But will we come to him? This passage has a sobering end to it. Because what do the people do? People who thought they'd known Jesus all their lives. People who spoke so well of him as he came to the synagogue that day. Well, they form an angry lynch mob and try to kill him. See verse 29? They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Is our reaction the same? Oh, we can tolerate the Jesus that we grew up with. We speak well of him, that Jesus who is so sweet and unthreatening. But this Jesus, who says he's the centre of history... This Jesus who says he holds the key to life. This Jesus who says that we need to depend on him. To come to him humbly for help. This Jesus who says that he is God. We want rid of him. Wish that he were dead. Dead to us and out of our lives. Because to come to him for forgiveness and to let go of all pride. To throw ourselves at his mercy. That can be hard to do. Especially if we've grown up with a view of him that's so far from reality. And yet this is who Jesus is. And that is what he's come to do. That is his mission statement. He has come to help people like us. And although on this day he simply walks through a crowd looking to kill him. The day would come when he allowed another crowd to shout crucify him and he remained silent. A day when he humbled himself and went through death and judgment for us. That's how he does it. That's how he makes good on this mission statement. That's how he rescues his people. You may have heard the words of one poet who put it like this if our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent us a rescuer. You need to know who someone is if you're going to relate to them properly. Jesus says he is a rescuer and that his mission statement is to help us. So how will we relate to him? Will we recognize him as the one who's at the center of history the one who holds the secret of life and so will we come to him ready to depend on him giving up our pride and looking to him for forgiveness do you realise that you need to do it don't delay on this day Jesus walked away from this crowd and they'd missed out on their chance to respond to him And one day we will all stand before him and we will be judged on how we've responded to him in this life. For one or two, perhaps, you realise that this is something you need to do today. We'll make it today. I'll be standing at the door at the end. I'd be very happy to help you to do that. Just come and tap me on the shoulder and say that you want to respond to Jesus. For others, uh, perhaps you'd like to know more. Uh, maybe you realise that for all the ideas of Jesus that you've had, you've never really looked at the things that he said and did. Well, at the door I'll have a handful of these booklets. It's called The Real Jesus. I'd love to let you have one, just so that you can read a little bit more about him. Uh, in there as well is one of these invitations to our Christianity Explored course. I'd like to think it through that Roger went to those years ago. Uh, It starts in a couple of weeks' time, on February the 10th. You'd be very welcome at that. Come and ask any question that you like. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, We're going to sing our final hymn now.